Hey everyone, I'm Andrew, and you're listening to Small Efforts, a collaboration between Crit and Miss Grants. And hi, I'm Sean. Small Efforts is a show where we talk about cybersecurity, design, and the continuous small efforts it takes to build a business. When are we going climbing together? I don't know. When you come to New York, I guess. Yeah, Maddie's been been really wanting to come to New York, so yeah. we'll definitely have to schedule a visit this fall. Or we'll do it in Vegas, now that I have my own shoes. Yo, yeah, that would be fun. That would yeah. actually be super fun. Yeah. For those of you listening. If you're in Vegas for Black Hat DEF CON yeah. and want to try rock climbing, hit up me and me or Sean. Yeah, it would be fun. I'm roping Sean into a third event. Maybe at this point, I have done no planning, so maybe it's going to be less of an event and more of just like, text our friends who climb and be like, hey, do you have your climbing shoes? Cool. You want to go climb? Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> I think it's funny because you know that the people that do climb, like that like would come, definitely pack their climbing shoes <laughs> on the off chance that they would climb. Yep. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, I just got rock climbing shoes. Pro tip for anyone that I just found out yesterday, REI has a great like return section called garage sale or whatever so mm-hmm. picked up some hundred something dollar climbing shoes for like 60 bucks yesterday that was nice. very exciting they have velcro on them velcro is a lot easier yeah than laces yeah yeah that's about as much as i know about rock climbing shoes but... Do you know are they like more aggressive or more like moderate it doesn't curl my toes cool i tried the ones and they're miserable it wasn't bad until the friend i was with was like yeah but like try standing in your tip like you're on your tippy toes i was like oh it's not that bad and he's like okay but think about if you were to fall on that <laughs> and i was like oh uh I, maybe nope. maybe your friend misled you i think i think I he might have been okay oh i can't wait to tell him later <laughs> yeah i have audio proof <laughs> you're like yeah but if if this is your first pair of shoes you should definitely go like more casual like don't yeah. no need to to buy an aggressive pair of shoes right off the bat like just Fair. get something super comfortable that you're going to want to climb a bunch in yeah 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 in any case yeah some got some las sportivas i think that's what they're called las sportivas yep. velcro ones pretty nice tarantula yeah sweet that's what i have maybe yeah are they green no they're red oh and... the new the new tarantulas are red yeah oh yeah, I got the new ones. The new cool. breads. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So this is a rock climbing podcast now. Let's go. <laughs> I've been climbing twice outdoors since we last talked, I think. Nice. Because we haven't talked since I got back from the UK, have we? We have not. You left me for a different nation. What? <laughs> I've been trying to schedule a follow-up with you for so long, and right. you've been right. super did... fucking busy. I ghosted you. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so how you been? How was the trip? Oh, the trip was so good. Driving was scarier than climbing. We rented a car in Bristol and drove through the like little country roads in Cornwall. So hadn't driven manual in a while and was driving manual. Driving on the left-hand side of the road trying to figure out how the fuck you go through a roundabout. And then there were a lot of these like very narrow, very windy two lane roads where people are going like 60 miles per hour. And like, there's a hedgerow. So like, you know, plants like right up on the side of the road, no shoulder whatsoever. And then a narrow lane and then another lane right next to it with like large trucks barreling at you like 60 miles per hour. It was terrifying. And then even better, there are a lot of one lane roads that go two ways. What? It's a one lane road, 
but traffic goes two ways on these one lane roads. Is it like large enough where you can? In places and in places, no. If you meet another car, yeah. then one of you typically has to back up. You either pull over or you back up. That's so efficient. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It was scary. Yeah. By the end, I was getting like more comfortable with it. So nice. Luckily, we rented a very small car because of Europe. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. do you feel like you're a better driver now in the States because you're used to these more difficult no. situations? No. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. My biggest problem with driving is I have ADHD and, <laughs> and so I'm easily distracted. But, Fair. but yeah, the trip was great. Maddie took a pottery workshop and made some really cool stuff and met some fun pottery people. And then I did two days of trad climbing on sea cliffs. So that was also scary in a totally different way, but really, really, really beautiful. Had really good weather the first day, a little drizzly the second day but still, still not bad at all. And just like you're climbing on these cliffs and there's beautiful crystal clear blue ocean crashing below you. Amazing. And it's, it was just like a really, really cool experience. So nice. Yeah. I'm glad to be back, but had a, had a lot of fun. Oh, the first night mm-hmm. we're looking for a place to eat. I'm looking at like the recommendations from the Airbnb and a lot of places are closed or whatever. So we pick one give them a call. They say they've got room at the bar. Roll up. Turns out it's a Michelin starred restaurant. The food was so good. Oh my God. We had oysters. We had grilled bread with zucchini, crab toast, fish and like a garlic sauce, lamb chop and sausage, like a butter cake with mango and grilled strawberries. Oh man, it was just Oh, this like amazing asparagus dish. It was just, the food was so good. It was so, so good. Amazing. Reminds me when we went to Momofuku in yes. Vegas. Yeah, where are we going this year? Ooh, I think Ben and my team wants to go to Nobu. So if we want to go to Nobu. Oh, shit. <laughs> I did I want to point out that I knew Nobu was a real thing. I thought it was just like a restaurant people made up. And like, I thought it was just, like a thing you say, you know? <laughs> like I just know of shows. it as being... I don't even know that much about it other than just, like, it's fancy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. I kind of want to do one of the buffets. Like, one of the, like, the, like, really high-end breakfast buffets with, like, champagne and caviar and, like... Nice. All-you-can-eat eggs. <laughs> yeah, I'm down for that. I'm down to spend more money. Oh... <laughs> 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 uh... This Vegas trip is going to be so expensive. Oh, yeah, because you're taking the like almost your whole team, your your entire team. I'm taking seven people, including me. And then we're doing a bunch of stuff for where we have the vendor booth going on as well as two parties. Just a lot. Just a lot. Damn. Yeah. We're in over our head. Did you get the did the fashion show end up happening? Yeah. 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 So we're not doing it's not a fashion show as much as it's like customize your own merch. Oh, yeah, so we'll have blanks there, and then you can kind of just heat press various miscreants designs and other, you know, things that never made it onto like a collection shirt. Mm-hmm. Maybe some like parody things, and you know, stuff like that. Is that going to be at the vendor booth, or is that going to be? It's going to be Friday night next to the Matrix party. Cool. You can go ahead and basically make yourself a little collectible take home, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. That sounds like it'll be fun. Thanks. I feel like people will take that. I hope so. 
I hope so. Um, I hope we're not dropping, you know, <laughs> five figures on nothing. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Got to give back to the community, right? But cool. So your trip went well. Mm-hmm. You climbed. Did you get to make any pots, ceramics? Did no, I didn't do. I didn't. Oh. I didn't. I didn't pot pot. Yeah, they were. I guess they were doing hand building. Mm. So if you're on a wheel, you'd call it throwing. Otherwise, it's hand building or maybe potting. I'm not sure. But we were staying in this cabin and there's this like really beautiful field of wildflowers right next to us. Found a couple of water bottles and like made a couple of like little bouquets of flowers and spent one morning just putzing around arranging flowers and like cutting flowers and arranging flowers. I was like, wow, this is really satisfying. It's like you're outside. Yeah. You're doing something that's like kind of artistic, but it doesn't take a whole lot of thought. It's not super precise. You're just kind of like, hmm, yeah, I'll stick that there and that there. And oh, that looks kind of nice. Oh, nope, I'm going to pull that one out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of loved it. I want to like find a place where I can find more wildflowers and try to do some like flower. I was going to ask you, is this going to be a new hobby flower arrangement? I would love for it to be, but that's sick. Might have to like grow some flowers in our garden next year or something. Oh, I have major garden news. I don't know if you knew even oh, we had a garden. But... I didn't know you had a garden. I have major garden news too. <laughs> our grapes are coming in. Yo, wait, that's cooler. <laughs> no, our garden news is, is less exciting. Right before we left, we like built a, a little garden in our backyard and really excited to like grow some plants. This summer, we planted a bunch of lettuce and arugula and broccoli and okra and peppers and tomatoes and herbs. Amazing. We have a groundhog. <gasps> The groundhog ate almost our entire garden before we even left. I see. I don't know what is going to happen to our garden, but we left for the trip already knowing that we had a groundhog problem, Mm -hmm. but we were thinking, okay, we'll come back. We'll try to find a way to relocate the groundhog, you know, get a humane trap or something, relocate the groundhog or Mm -hmm. hire someone to do it. We come back. We don't just have one groundhog. Turns out Greg is a girl. We now have five groundhogs. <laughs> By the way, I named the groundhog after Greg Wells. Out of curiosity, are the other five groundhogs also named after <laughs> our listeners? Out <laughs> <laughs> of Greg, Sapria, Mike. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we have enough listeners. <laughs> Kevin, I've got Kevin. a... Yeah. Right, right, right. My friend Carl listens every now and then. <laughs> Here we go, that's five. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's like... No, this is a problem. It's a very cute. It's a very cute problem. We're equally like both like, well, that's adorable and a massive pain in the butt because now yeah. we can't relocate them. Like we don't want to risk separating them. You know? Right. So, well, you can there's nothing wrong with growing more things and feeding them. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I was joking on Twitter that I'm going to have to buy like a head of lettuce every week for like six weeks just to produce one head of lettuce from my <laughs> from my garden <laughs> yeah so we've got we've nice. got a little family of groundhogs living in our backyard cool what do the cats think about them the cats love watching them our cats don't go outside they're they're indoor cats so i see but That's they'll they'll sit on our washing machine and just like mm-hmm. chirp at them like itching to to get at them and i'm like i, I don't see. think you're winning that fight yeah, <laughs> I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't i don't think you want <laughs> I don't think you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Greg's Greg's scrappy, man. Greg's scrappy. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a scrappy one. Or, that's right. She'll throw hands. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 
that's kind of what's going on with me. Nice. Right now. I also have backdoor critter news for you, actually. Okay. Yeah, our lives are so intertwined. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a neighborhood cat, a tuxedo cat, been around for years, ever since, like, yeah, years. A month ago or so, I saw, like, a gray cat in the neighborhood, right? It's like, oh, cool, a new cat in the neighborhood. And I didn't think much about it until I looked in the backyard one day. And there are just, like, these five kittens, some are tuxedo and some are gray, running around. That's adorable. The garage. Wait, are they living in your backyard? Uh, I think for a little bit. I don't know. There's, like, some dark corner, but they're not there right now. But they go back every once in a while. I don't know. That's adorable. It is. Yes, it is. Are you going to do anything with them? Are you going to try to snag a kitten? I'm not responsible enough for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just that's pretty easy. Cats are pretty easy. How is it working with JJ and having a, a COO? Good. Really good. I wish we had her sooner, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But good. We're, I think we're, yeah, there's some like good sorts of like structure. There's a lot of like resource and capacity planning that's finally off of my plate, which is, mm-hmm. I think, the Lord letting me focus a little bit more on sales and then right now we're just kind of working through how to improve like our throughput of projects and whatnot rsa was while you were traveling i was also traveling which is why you all listeners missed the episode last week we did publish an episode but there was this like glitch so we'll we'll get that fixed and then Mm -hmm. this one will come out at some point and we'll get back to our our regular schedule yeah at some point we'll figure it out yeah but yeah, RSA was super cool. good for Pipeline. Yeah, how was and it? Now it's... It looked like it was a lot of fun. I kept seeing pictures of people who I love, like, just hanging out. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh. I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I was very glad to be on my trip and not thinking about work. But yeah. I was also like, but that looks fun, too. It was super fun. I think it was good to just be able to see everyone again. Right. I got a chance to meet some people that I've been following for a while. So that was cool. Reconnect with some other folks that probably i haven't i probably haven't talked to for two or three years which was cool yeah the conference itself was you know okay and whatever i think i think as an agency owner rsa is better than black hat for pipeline though why do you think that is like what makes that the case because of all the after parties after right like a bunch of cmos at rsa a bunch of marketing folks a bunch of startup founders as well lots of parties that people are going to after the booth like I think it's pretty bad practice to go booth to booth. Now that I think of it, for the record, not that I haven't also just done this before, but going booth to booth to meet people while they're like expecting you to be a lead and now you're kind of playing the reverse Uno card. Whereas like... I always felt weird about that. Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And I think for the most part, neither of us have had too much success when it comes to doing that. Yeah. So what I realized is RSA, it's all the after parties that actually made it very, very helpful and useful. But yeah, got to... Got to meet a lot of really cool people. Got to meet another marketer that's like two, three blocks down from me, which was cool. No way. Um, so that was interesting. It was very nostalgic being back in San Francisco, especially since I was going to move there pre-pandemic. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I only didn't because COVID happened. I was like, okay, well, let's postpone all of this until afterwards. Not that we're after COVID <laughs> yet, but... Yeah. Yeah, it was super nostalgic being back there. Got to go see some old friends who are still over there. Have you lived there before or have you just spent a bunch of time there? I spent a bunch of time there, but also lived very briefly for a summer when I was working at CoreOS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
but yeah, pre-pandemic, I thought about moving to SF because all my friends were there. And then they all decided to come to the cool part of town called, you know, AKA New York City. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. I love San Francisco so much. Like when I went there, I was immediately mm-hmm. like, oh, I get why everyone moves here. It's it's really cool. I just wish it wasn't a tech up. I would be yeah. so much more interested in living there if there weren't tech bros everywhere. Yeah, I have a friend who has mentioned that it's hard to date in San Francisco because they don't want to date another person in tech. But it's very hard to meet people not in tech there. Sounds like things are going pretty well. Are there any projects that you and JJ are working on that you're really excited, like kind of on the agency ops side of things? Are there any projects we're very excited about? In like the most to give you like the most boring answer or we've been just talking about resource planning and capacity planning a lot mm-hmm. and looking at like those sorts of tools not dissimilar from something like parallax yeah that you all use parallax is been, awesome it's just expensive yeah. yeah yeah i mean at this point it honestly might be worth it just because not a lot of <laughs> anyway what that's else? where we what? got to <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was just like like they're in a good market because it's a painful problem and so yeah we're doing some trademarking stuff, a lot of legal things. I asked you about a lawyer contact the other day too. Just a lot of like legal aspects. I mean, overall, it's all exciting. I think there's two things that make a company successful, right? Well, there's multiple, but two of the things that or have been on my mind is positioning and operational efficiency. And you kind of need both. And I think we're positioned well, but JJ is really kind of bringing that operational efficiency. The software product that we've been working on for a while that's starting to slowly come into fruition. So now more legal things to think about, real equity <laughs> things and SaaS contract, like terms of service, all of those things that are necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. are you approaching first customer? First demo. with First demo. First demo. So to give people listening a the metadata around it. SaaS product, we're bootstrapping it, basically funneling all of the agency profits, specifically just my salary plus some into this product. Have a couple sort of like design partners, taking a slightly more like boutique ethos, being slower about finding PMF, you know, finding one customer, almost building it and adding some specific features that they might need taking it very very slow i think if we end up having like even five by the end of next year i think we're happy but it's been a very cool thing to see the product team sort of rally together behind it specifically you and l and steven so our product delivery person designer and developer kind of work together as a team and that's been cool yeah yeah, I'm really excited to see mm-hmm. how this experiment goes. This was early days. Like our our dream mm-hmm. was to bootstrap, use the agency to bootstrap a, a SaaS product. And like we tried a couple of times and didn't quite get there. It seems like you all are in a much better market. The thing you're working on seems to have a lot more promise than any of the things we, <laughs> we ever built. We're doing the thing that every agency eventually does and spends a lot of money and time doing. I think I'll be jaded both ways, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> One will be more jaded. It's not an easy way to do things. That's for damn sure. Yeah. But there kind of are no easy ways. It's just like, what trade-offs do you want to make, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Raising money is hard. Yeah. Building a company that justifies raising money is hard. 
yeah bootstrapping it without you know the agency is hard yeah bootstrapping it with the agency is hard like it's starting a building a SaaS product is hard <laughs> it's just there is no easy way yeah yeah why do we do this why do i do, why do we do this to ourselves <laughs> that's the title sean has an existential crisis <laughs> hey i had one a couple a couple months ago i think you're about to uh-huh. so yeah we'll get through it together nice here's a question for you i think i get that people feel rejuvenated after taking like a vacation right it depends but Fair. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> fair, fair. I guess the question is, how long like, do those like periods of rejuvenation last? Because for me, like a day. And then it's back to it, which is why I've forgotten vacations. Because So I think that taking, you kind of need, for me, about 10 days to get the full effects of vacation. Less than that, you know, because you it takes you a few days to like get up, like kind of detach yourself and remind yourself you're not at work. And then you want to have a few days to like enjoy. And then there's going to be a couple of days of like where you're going to start thinking about work at the end. And so to really get the full effects of a, a good vacation, for me, I generally need about 10 days. You know, a three-day weekend is great and like fun, a fun experience and can be rejuvenating in its own way. But a really good like reset for mm-hmm. me takes about 10 days. Gotcha. And then I think it's really important if you want to get the full effects to like put in the work ahead of time, make sure you don't like overload your calendar when you get back. So you don't just push everything from those 10 days to the week you get back so that you don't get back and then just feel miserable. Make sure that you set up a good plan for the team. So outline what your responsibilities are that you need people to cover for, how to cover for those while you're gone. Bina, our project manager, introduced the idea of a while I'm out doc. And so oh. now anytime one of us is leaving for a substantial amount of time, we'll create a while I'm out doc. And it's just like super simple bullet points. Each person on the team, here's what I need you to do while I'm out. And so like you can do some of these things to help a vacation be more rejuvenating. Mm-hmm. And then I think the type of vacation probably matters and like it's going to be different for different people. I have been really tempted to try a sit on the beach vacation lately because I haven't had a chance to do that in a while. Mm, But honestly, I kind of think something like rock climbing is in some ways better for me because it like forces me to be present and like takes me out of my head. And Mm -hmm. and so like being active is kind of rejuvenating for me in a way. Yeah. But I'll also say, you know, share something that my therapist told me when I was really, really feeling burnt out, which was like taking a break is part of the equation. But it's it's kind of, in some ways, a Band-Aid. That's not to say that you shouldn't rest. You should. You should rest and rest frequently. Rest is part of recovery. It's part of growth. It's important. But if you're really burnt out and you say, okay, I'm just going to take 10 days off, and then you come right back into the same system that burnt you out in the first place, you're going to end up back there eventually. Mm-hmm. And so you're just sort of like kicking the can down the road more than you are fixing the problem. And so if you really want to fight with burnout, you got to start to think about like, okay, how can I put healthy boundaries in place and like find the things that give me energy, the small things that give me energy on a more regular basis. So for me, the two biggest are exercise and social time. Mm-hmm. If I'm exercising regularly, which for me is now rock climbing and I'm hanging out with friends, which is also often rock climbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then 
those two things will help me manage the rest of the things that I need to do to like avoid burnout, which isn't to say I don't, don't still get there, but like oftentimes when I start to feel the worst, it's when I am, have stopped making time for those two things Mm -hmm. or any of the others that are important for me. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a good takeaway. That's probably why vacations don't necessarily do anything for me because I'm just coming back to the same thing. That being said, not that I totally mind the current thing that we were doing, but I think more so in the past when I have felt burnt out and then came back after taking a long break, it's like, oh, nothing has changed. Except a difference, I guess, is this podcast where I got really burnt out of the previous one and got scared about coming back because I didn't want to go through that that pain again, except this has been significantly easier because we have a Mary and a Hatch. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mary and Hatch have been clutched to this thing lasting as long as it has. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Neither of us would have stuck with this this long if, yeah. if not for them. Yeah, I did not think we would make it to episode 25. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Oh, I do have news for you. Mm-hmm. So for DEF CON, we're doing the, the collection drop. So we're finalizing that this week. But the other thing is that we have been working on like a miscreants rebrand for a little bit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You have piqued my interest. Yeah. <laughs> it's not done yet. Still working on the website, but trying to sprint over the next five days to get it done by the 27th. That might be... A overly ambitious timeline, but that's what we can it for, right? What? <laughs> what were we just saying about boundaries? That I have too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Why do us design nerds love a rebrand? Like you tell me you're rebranding, and I get real excited. I'm like, oh yeah, let's go. What is it about a rebrand that's so much fun? Well, I think that. Okay, so I think that. Any marketer left to their own devices will opt for a rebrand. But more importantly, I think that we're going through a rebrand because fundamentally, Miscreants as a company has changed over the past, you know, six months. And we, I think our current language and aesthetic and whatnot don't represent us well. And I think at the end of the day, like, I mean, brand is sort of a reflection of your internals plus you know your perception or external perception right and and matching those things also it's because of the different sorts of activities that we're now doing with like the startup and and more of the clothing all of and then the various sort of like service lines i think having something that encompasses all of that under one roof is good yeah i don't know why the name right yeah we're keeping the name yeah, the name is fucking is badass. We're, not, we're never changing the name. <laughs> We've thought about it a lot. We've considered it quite a you bit. You have com now. So I do. You've got to stick with the name. I do. I don't know why I get excited about other people's rebrands, too. Besides just like... It's just shiny new toys. Like, yeah. I think yeah, it's shiny. Just, <laughs> <laughs> we just like new things. Yeah. Do you think the engineering equivalent of the rebrand is the rewrite? Like, yeah, like absolutely. completely scrapping the, the code base and rewriting from scratch. I, I think that's our engineering equivalent of a, a rebrand. Yeah, it's like, oh, this isn't Go. What if we write it in Rust instead? <laughs> <laughs> or even just like, what if we rewrite it knowing everything we know now and exactly. just make the code so, so much better? 
it's just so much more performant. So <laughs> our new SVGs are just one kilobyte less. Yeah, I don't know. Because like Stripe's old website was dope, except their new website is also dope. Does Stripe have a new website? No, no, no. Like this is referencing like the rebrand, like the new mm. website they did years ago. But, you know, when, when Stripe's website first was We're first. We're probably overdue for a Stripe rebrand, actually. We need a new Stripe brand so that the rest of the industry can decide what to design next. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Am I wrong? Yeah, I can't wait to have Ryan Breslow on the show as well, by the way, now that we're going to start talking about, you know, guys you know, you're not, you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> not wrong. I don't think the word micro interactions existed until Stripe decided to come out with their website. Speaking of, it's all like, I'm pretty sure it's all like all of that was influenced by like one guy too, hmm. BDC, Benjamin DeCock, I think. At least that's how I got really into learning like like getting really, really nerdy about CSS because he would write things like, oh, should you use like milliseconds or seconds when you write CSS and all that stuff. But I think he was the person who kind of led the first brand and then the second rebrand. I don't even think... That's right. Yeah, I don't even know if he's at Stripe anymore, to be honest. Yeah, Benjamin, if you're listening to this podcast, you should totally come and say hi, for sure. <laughs> Stripe is one of those those few companies that I would strongly consider working for i think it would be just such an interesting place where you'd learn so 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 much i think so although i wonder these days if they've gotten so big that it's like yeah just bureaucracy city it seems like they have somehow managed to preserve their culture and still like move fast and ship a bunch of stuff yeah but it's also I... wild that they're still not public it's kind of like they're huge i mean the mafia doesn't want to be public <laughs> why would the why would the straight mafia want to be what kind of messaging work do you all like copywriting and messaging work do you all typically do in a rebrand we what type of messaging work do we do in like what did the deliverables look like that you think are really impactful for a company to have as they're rethinking their messaging and like how they write copy and how they how their brand talks yeah you know, I know that's something that you all do in addition to doing, you know, the visual side of a brand. You all think kind of holistically about the marketing aspects and the the copywriting and, and content aspects of a of a brand. And so yeah, I was curious, yeah. like, what are some of the deliverables that you think are really impactful and, and powerful? And how do you go about creating a messaging strategy or like a messaging like framework or guidelines? Like, what is the messaging part of a brand look like to you this has been like an interesting thing that has come up in a lot this was at rsa where people were asking similar as questions of like mm -hmm. how we saw brand we lump product marketing and brand under one department right or it's and partially it's because like you know our whole thesis is working on brand also from this sort of technical point of view and, and having a deep understanding of the problem that you're solving for etc where it honestly just starts getting into product marketing land so to answer your question, I'm going to lump positioning under this, like your positioning statement. I'm going to lump website copy, but also for like tone of voice things in the art guidelines, we kind of, we present just essentially almost like first principles or really just principles of like, this is how your brand should express itself in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, is it like a quiet confidence? Is it snarky? Is it cheeky? Is it literally just Andrew Morris wrapped up into word, <laughs> you know, into visuals? loud, quiet, et cetera. But 
otherwise other deliverables, we haven't done this yet besides really just for ourselves and have been talking about it is more on the social media front because we've been thinking a lot internally about telling better stories across social media because I think it's severely underused in our space. Mm-hmm. What else in terms of deliverables? So it, sounds like, I mean, we do, it, mm-hmm. it sounds like, you know, you all start at the top and the top when it comes to messaging and content sort of stems from a positioning statement and, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding where you fit in the market. And then the sort of next level down is Mm -hmm. a voice and tone guide. So what should our brand sound like? How should it talk? Or is there a step in between there that I'm missing? I think it's more lateral in terms of like a message map, right? In terms of talking more towards like, these are the phrases you're using to talk about your brand. These are the kind of supporting points, et cetera. But I think it's parallel with the tone of voice of here's the words you use okay so there's there's a positioning statement and then there's a Mm -hmm. tone and voice guide and then a message map Mm -hmm. what is the message map like i don't even know what that is what is it and how is it useful yeah so a message map is a is a framework in product marketing where you kind of have your key value props and you basically have supporting supporting factors to each but you have you have supporting factors to back up every single claim that you're making, right? Your claim is we are more comprehensive in X thing and we are more comprehensive in XYZ. And and basically you can take these basically bullet points and you're basically reusing these phrases over and over again and cross your collateral, your sales conversations, you know, your sales engineers are saying the same phrases and you're drilling the same kind of phrases, whether it's trying to not you could, use, you could use you could use or miscreants as an example like use one of us i think for like miscreants we haven't finished developing this but from like a practitioner standpoint or having expertise in-house you know we've said these phrases over and over again it's these sorts of like choices of words and now there's like soft science woo woo things that come in of word choice and how that affects your people's perception of you in terms of We'll use practitioner, not operator, for example, because practitioner is more akin to what people use in this industry, right? Whereas like if we were, let's say... Like in like the if, VC industry, exactly, use, operator. use operator. Exactly. Stuff like that. So there's like a lot of like extra micro nuance to or subtleties to everything. But going back to the message map, yeah, it's you stake certain claims. You have supporting phrases that back up certain claims or help explain these claims then it goes into other conversations this again we also haven't done because i just do sales so i don't write the battle card for anyone else but with some of our clients like helping write writing those sales battle cards helping figure out objection handling how do we talk about against or around certain things people are bringing up those all kind of lump into brand and messaging for us to be honest Mm -hmm. which what else? Let me think. Yeah, that sounds super useful. And the thing mm-hmm. that I I feel like I'm hearing too is just like, these are all tools, right? Like these are mm-hmm. all tools. And one of the key values of like investing in building out these tools as part of your brand guidelines and your total brand package is like mm-hmm. aligning everybody on how they communicate about the company. Yeah. So, you know, just making sure everyone's kind of saying the same things so mm-hmm. that customers and potential customers are hearing the same things over and over again so that they start to resonate and start to like start to embed in in their brains a little bit 
Yeah, it's it's sort of, you know, it's not dissimilar from like creating a religion and there's no Kool-Aid, but like it's not that different from what, you know, cults and, you know, <laughs> religions and whatnot do with your missionaries who go out and try to convert folks. Like, it's not. Yeah. What kind of, when you're working with an, a client to create some of these tools, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to use the word tools instead of deliverables because I feel like deliverables makes it sound more like this is just something you hand off. And I think yeah, really yeah. what these should be is tools that the company can take and use and, yeah. and continue to generate value with. So when you're creating these tools, what are the sources that you're drawing information from to like validate mm -hmm. that this is the right messaging, the right words and phrases and stuff? You said like there's a little bit of soft science that goes into some of the word choice and, and mm -hmm. things like that. But what are some of the other sources you use to start to try to build these things? Yeah, yeah. So there's a percentage breakdown here that I don't have for you. But like, I would say like 10, just to kind of go off the top here, I don't even know if this is going to add up to 100. But I think 10% of this is just like pure, like prior knowledge or prior having done this before. I think like 50% of it is just honestly coming from conversations. You know, it's not that different from like, when you work on a product, like you mm -hmm. validate with customers and you you test assumptions and whatnot. I think another 25% of it is like, is conversations with the leadership and other sorts of folks in even more like more technical position roles and positions and whatnot, right? Like, especially when it comes to like specific technological nuances of a product, like, okay, like why is your thing specifically better than this other competitor's tool? And the, they'll kind of get into more specifics and we can kind of pull is it more performant yeah. is it more like our ai yeah it's, yeah we've got ai yeah. yeah 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 but like yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah that's a that's a sore spot that i'll tell you another time <laughs> later and then i think the rest 15 percent, i think is what's left is just purely iterating on it like mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest with you especially with seed stage startups like the claims that the ceo is telling me and the claims that the tech team is telling the product team is telling me and then also the conversations we have with their customers like the the answer just keeps changing over and over again the different markets different sizes of companies have different needs but i think especially what this downturn has sort of showed is that a lot of money went to companies because of team and tam and not necessarily because, or sorry, seed stage companies or pre-seed companies without necessarily them having validated a specific problem. They were just like, we have a hunch. And then VCs were like, here's anywhere between two to $6 million to go build and validate it. So when we have worked with those companies, those hypotheses or hypotheses when proven false means that we go ahead and try new guesses and taking more shots at goal before yeah and and we just iterate constantly yeah so how many customers question. how many customers have like customer support docs and customer interview notes and stuff mm -hmm. that you can pull from to try to like get voice of customer data to inform brand messaging like if you had to guess a percentage of our clients 90 mm -hmm. percent to be oh, honest wow yeah yeah that's awesome yeah, I think the like the act of talking to customers and having those conversations have been drilled in enough into founders that I think, you know, VCs will always tell you to do these things. Mm -hmm. So almost always 
they they have design partners and people that we can talk to. We still see a lot of founders who like they're surely they're talking to customers somewhere in the process, but like, you know, it might be more just they don't really talk to customers outside of sales calls. And mm. there's rarely a customer interview practice happening with like interview notes. And that, that might just speak to like we, mm. we do still talk to a, a bunch of like pretty early stage companies. I think like usually by series A, they're starting to put a product team in place and like mm. that product team hopefully is is building a discovery practice and like doing customer interviews and and things. But yeah, it's tough sometimes for us to get, you know, I have a lot of sales calls where someone's like, oh, you want to talk to like five customers? That's going to be tough. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I can talk to stakeholders if I have to, but would mm -hmm. really like to talk to at least one or two customers. Yeah, we definitely had that before. I will say it's not that they have interview notes. They just have recorded interviews that mm -hmm. we go. And I would be totally happy with that, yeah. too. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Although there is also an art to to interviewing well to get the like, yes. you know, useful, useful data. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, just something that I've been thinking about a little bit. You know, a lot of our our messaging at Crit, you know, we don't we don't do a whole lot of messaging with clients mm -hmm. every now and then we'll help them out with like a website and we you know think a little bit about microcopy and want mm -hmm. you know think a lot about brand inside of the product but don't get really heavy into messaging and copywriting and so it's something that i've been curious about and been thinking about a little bit and then yeah our like brand messaging at crit has always been pretty heavily driven by just like how I want us to sound. Mm -hmm. And then our writer, Laura, who we've worked with for years and years, like just knows us super well and pretty early on helped create like a voice and tone guide that mm -hmm. is, has been helpful when we've brought on other people to help with stuff. But it's mostly just like Laura knows us really well. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have strong opinions on how I want Crypt to sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I, well, I think that's why it has worked well for you guys, right? I think there is like a mildly cohesive tone of voice throughout the website at least right i, I mean I, i'm not on your sales call so i have no idea so <laughs> i couldn't tell you yeah 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 cool i was gonna say one more thing about this but then i'm forgetting no idea oh well. cool well cool. you want to wrap it up there yeah man i'll see you next right. week or see you next week bye Later. bye you just listened to Small Efforts, a podcast collaboration between Crit and Miscreants, hosted by Sean Sun and Andrew Askins. Sean is a hacker turned designer and the founder of Miscreants, a creative agency building memorable brand and product experiences for cybersecurity ventures. Andrew is an engineer turned CEO and the founder of Crit, a product design agency that helps cybersecurity founders create better products. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can check us out at smalleffortspod.com. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.